have your Bibles, would you turn with me right now to 1 Samuel chapter 13, starting with verse 15. I believe God is in here and he's wanting to equip, and I, God had already told me what he wants, and then your bishop got up here and said it. Um, he said, if you want this to continue, you have to do it. I believe that the will of God, I believe that in the kingdom there are seasons, there's no denying that. Not every season is is, you know, summer, not every season is winter, not every season is spring or fall. And in the kingdom, it's, it's similar. But one thing is always true. The church is always passionate about the king. That is the same in no matter what season we're in, no matter if it's a difficult season, an easy season. Seasons come and seasons go, but the same is always true. I'm here to worship the king because he's in control of this kingdom. And so that cannot change. That must not change. And so that passion for the king drives us into relationship with him every single day. And so on Monday, this revivals aren't designed to end. A revival is not a series of services. A revival is simply that. It is reviving back what should have been before it fell asleep. And so God is reviving some things right now, and it's intended to continue moving forward after tonight is over. But that ends with the individual. And so I trust that God is going to do that in your lives. And I want to read from 1 Samuel 13, verse 15, and I want to stay within that vein right there. It says, And Samuel arose and got him up from Gilgal unto Gibeah of Benjamin, and Saul numbered the people that were present with him, about 600 men. And Saul and Jonathan his son and the people that were present with them abode in Gibeah of Benjamin. But the Philistines encamped in Michmash. And the spoilers came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned into the way that leadeth to Ophrah, unto the land of Shual. Another company turned into the way to Bethhoron. And another company turned to the way of the border that looketh to the valley of Zeboim toward the wilderness. Now there was no smith found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears. But all the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share and his coulter and his axe and his mattock. So it came to pass in the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan. But with Saul and with Jonathan, his son was there found. Really quickly, I'm going to go to 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4, really familiar passage. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I want to talk to us tonight about the spirit of a spoiler and a blacksmith. There's the spirit of a spoiler in the world, but there's also the spirit of a blacksmith in the world. And I want to talk about that this evening. Would you lift up your hands right now? And would you begin to pray the way you were a moment ago? Passionate about the king no matter the season. No matter if this is the last service in the revival, the revival doesn't end even though Sunday night is here. It continues on in every home, and we bring it from our homes back here on Wednesday nights. 
bring it back with us into our homes and our workplaces. We bring it into our cars. We bring it into our conversations. Father, whatever you're going to do tonight, God, it's your business. I pray that you would tune me into the microphone of heaven, that you would minister through me. Pour into me, God. Spirit of overflow, come upon me and let me minister from that overflow. God, everything that is poured into the vessel, let me be quick to pour it back out onto the people. And I pray that the people that receive it, they pour it out as well in this room. And I believe that there will be a spiritual flood that takes place in this house tonight. Father, whatever you decide to do, God, we'll give you glory for it. We trust it. We will honor you, God. But most of all, we will worship you. We will praise you. We'll give you the honor. We'll give you the glory because it's from you that comes all things. There's none good in this room but you alone. And so, God, since that is the case, we're going to worship the one who is good. God, we'll give you the glory in the name of Jesus, we pray. Would you say amen? You can be seated. It's between the 16th and 17th centuries that there were two European nations, the Dutch and the Portuguese. Both tried to colonize Brazil. The Dutch came first, and their tactic was to force them into submission through cruelty. They dominated and they oppressed the Brazilian people, forcing them into slavery. However, it was because of this forceful breach that the Brazilian people rose up and they began to fight back simply because they had nothing to lose. Because when the Dutch came in with cruelty and takes everything from them, the Brazilian people said, what have we got to lose? Let us fight back. There's nothing to lose anyway. The Portuguese, however, tried a much subtler tactic. They came bearing gifts, trinkets of glass. They brought beads, clean running water, which were things that the Brazilian natives could not get for themselves. They still ultimately enslaved the people, but they did so with gifts and bribes, not oppression and force. They gave the Brazilian people something that they were afraid to lose, thus making the people unwilling to fight back. They weren't happy about it. The Brazilians knew what they were doing. But at this point, unlike fighting the Dutch, they were unwilling to fight the Portuguese because they had too much to lose to make them do anything drastic, such as a revolt. To this day, the Brazilian language spoken is Portuguese. They have never broken free from this oppressive tactic that came in with subtlety. Let me start off by saying tonight that the devil could not care less that you're in this room. The adversary is not concerned one bit that you attended a church service. I will admit that he is a little uncomfortable because this is the one place where you will hear a word being spoken, and there is truth here. But he is mostly concerned with what you do away from here. It's what you take from this place. It's what you do with the truth you have heard is what really sends a shockwave through hell. It's what you do with the word of God that was spoken and you respond to it. I've said it twice this week. There is such a thing as spirit-led preaching and there's also such a thing as spirit-led responding. When we respond to what the spirit has said and we're not just hearers only but doers of the word, that is what then begins to make hell get intimidated by the bride of Christ. And you may be thinking that the devil's main agenda and hell's greatest victory is to take you out, but I'm here to let you know that I believe the devil is okay with you being alive today. What he cares about is if you are carrying something into your homes, into your workplaces, into your families, and into the places where you roam about throughout the week. He's concerned if you take from this place the sword of truth. In our text, we see the children of Israel being led by the carnal leadership of Saul. 
It was a time when their arch nemesis, the Philistines, had won a victory over them. And while it is to be imagined by an immediate reading of the text that there was a lot of blood to be shed in order to clutch this victory from the Philistines, it's evident that they did not entirely wipe the children of Israel out. The scriptures reveal that they employed a strategic tactic. The Philistines did not obliterate the Israelites. They left them alive. They left them there. What they did, though, was much more subtle. They said, we're not going to come in with force and cruelty. All we have to do is just have one victory over them, and then we will send our spoilers. The Bible uses the word for spoilers because it was a common tactic at this point in time of history. If we can send our spoilers and take from them one individual, then we can keep them alive because it's much more efficient for us to keep servants than it is to kill servants. So let's keep them alive, but let's take from them the one who creates weapons. Let's take from them their blacksmiths. And so the Bible tells us that the spoilers surrounded them. One went this way to Ophrah. Another one went this way to Beth Horon. And they began to surround and encamp the Israelites. And these spoilers would go into the camp. And they would take from them the one that was capable of making the means to work in their fields. You see... The Bible says, now there was no smith found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears. When the blacksmith was taken, it always stifled the hope of a retaliation. When the blacksmith was taken, it minimized the hope of an uprising. When the blacksmith was taken, it resulted in total dependence. When the blacksmith was taken, the enemy slept very good at night because there was no worry of anyone coming in the night to plunder them. When the blacksmith was taken, it always haltered progress. A blacksmith was the individual who could form objects from metal or steel by forging it with a hammer or other utensils. The forearms of the blacksmith would force raw steel into submission as they had a vision of what this thing laying before them could become. It's not supposed to say raw. It's supposed to turn into the vision that I have of it. And so the forearms of the blacksmith would be swollen with muscles because their entire objective and mission day in and day out was to smite, which is where the word smith comes from, because they would not stop smiting until this unruly object submitted to the vision that was on their mind. The one thing that they had in their mind was, without me, we will not have weapons for the field. We will not have weapons for the soldiers. Without me, even the homes don't have the utensils needed to plow the fields. Without me, there are no pitchforks. There are no backhoes. There are no utensils even in the home to eat food with. They need me and I am strategically placed within every home and within every camp of Israel. We need a blacksmith so that we can bring forth weapons for warfare. You can see now why the blacksmith was the target for the Philistines. And so they would send these spoilers and they would take the quiet and humble blacksmith because this man was responsible for providing the tools to build their kingdom by providing hammers and tools necessary for kingdom expansion. The blacksmith would work tirelessly until that object he was trying to create was a finished project. There was no compromise. 
There was no cutting corners because he understood that what he made would either make or break the battle. A blacksmith was not going to use lesser quality tools. He was not going to cut corners because he knew if I don't do this right, the handle could fall off on a battlefield and one of my own brethren could die on the battlefield. I'm not going to do this and I'm not going to cut corners and compromise because if I do, even the farmers won't have the tools necessary to bring in the food because they rely on me to give the tools for the harvest and I rely on them to bring the harvest in for the food. I'm not going to cheat. I'm not going to cut corners. Everything will ebb and flow upon a blacksmith. There's no cutting corners in the dark metal makeshift canopy. Only the best was to be given to the troops and the workers. The blacksmith would feel the weight of responsibility upon his shoulders so he would take his work seriously and he would work until he finished the task. From early morning until late evenings. He would smite until he had finished the job at hand. He only found solace and satisfaction when the raw metal with which he was working would yield to his vision. The blacksmith worked in dark rooms only lit by the furnace of fires where metals would be heated to a maximum capacity. Only courageous rays of light would creep between those crevices of a metal makeshift warehouse competing with the flickering of blue and yellow flames in a cauldron. And the only sound that was heard in the dark rooms of the blacksmith were the talkative sounds of fire and the striking sound of a hammer against metal. There were no crowds. There was no cheering him on. There was no king there patting him on the back saying, good job, well done, good and faithful. There was no choir. There was zero glamour involved with the job. It was dark, it was sweaty, it was gritty, and it was unpraised. But the blacksmith was the unsung hero of every harvest and the unsung hero of every battlefield. The craftsman chiseled out victories long before a sword was ever removed from its sheath. These blacksmiths were the primary target of the spoiler. We have a spirit of a spoiler. And as I have traveled throughout the United States in a post-pandemic church, I have noticed the presence of spoilers that have gone throughout the entire United Pentecostal Church. And it's gone through other denominations, I'm sure. But I specifically speak to the United Pentecostal Church constituents as I have have noticed that a spoiler has come through the church in a post-pandemic world. While we have been given freedom from a building during a time of a pandemic, our blacksmiths have been taken. While we were sent home and we watched services online, we were robbed of the accountability of lifting hands. We were robbed of the accountability of actually praying. We were robbed of the accountability. The blacksmiths came through, and what we did is we were given comfort, and now we're trying to fight tooth and toenail to get some ground back in this post-pandemic society. And it's been feeling good here, and I don't know what it's like here on a regular basis. I don't know what it's like in every service, and I'm not talking about those. I just know it seems like it's been getting a little bit more ground every single night since Thursday, and that's typically what happens at a revival, but that's not supposed to stop the moment 
month the revival's over. You're supposed to continue gaining ground because the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal. There is a name for this blacksmith to which I refer tonight. There is a blacksmith that is supposed to be resounding in every church. It's supposed to be in every home. It's not for the special elites. It's not for those called to do it. Every one of you have the same ministry of this blacksmith. The blacksmith's name is simply prayer. There is supposed to be the spirit of prayer in every living room. But I'm burdened as I look at fathers who don't even pray anymore. And they come into church and their wives out pray them. It's not supposed to be this way. It's not supposed to be one spouse carrying it. It's not supposed to be just husband either. There should be praying mamas and praying daddies. And they should come to the house of God and children should look at them and say, it feels like it does at home here. This is right. This feels normal. This is how it's supposed to be. And it's not supposed to just be one generational. It's supposed to be the children praying as they see the parents do it. And when they come to church, it's no wonder they don't feel comfortable because it's not happening at home. And so when they come into the church and don't know how to pray, I wonder, have you been doing it at home? Because we should bring what from home into church what we've been doing at home. And it should be something that we come with. But this post-pandemic society is robbing from the church prayer. Long before there's ever a sword unsheathed, somebody already had a victory in a prayer room. In a dark, gritty room where there's no praise, there's no choir, and there's no pastor. Nobody there patting you on the back saying, good job, keep on doing it. Nobody has to tell you to do that. You just went into prayer because you said long before there's going to be a field, there's going to be somebody chiseling away to make the utensils for the field. When you get into the field and you haven't been in the prayer room, you don't even know what to do in the field because you have no tools. But when you go into the prayer room, which is your little dark canopy where the talkative flames of the presence of God is, and you start forming this flesh into the vision to which God has put on your mind, and you smite away at that attitude, and you smite away at those things that God has spoken to you, and you start putting this flesh into submission with what God has said you can be, something starts happening in your life. But if there's a spirit of a blacksmith, there's also a spirit of a spoiler. The spoiler has gone through every home in this current society and they have robbed from us prayer and they've given us some things that we're afraid to lose. Oh, but I'm going to have to give up some entertainment. I'm going to have to, but but Brother Holloway, I hear it everywhere I go. Everybody brings it up to me. But Brother Holloway, I work. So did Paul. But he was caught up into the third heaven even though he still made tents during the day. You have to ask yourself, do I want to be like Paul or do I want to be like someone who doesn't pray? There must be prayer that emanates from this place. And I know you've been feeling it. It's been stirring up. And it's been, you've been feeling it on Thursday because you've been praying here. You felt it on Friday because you were praying. You felt it last night as the move of God happened because you were praying. It's not because of my preaching. I can just, I, I'm, I'm out here trying to preach myself out of a job. And I'm convinced that if I can just get people how to pray, if people can learn how to pray and begin praying, they don't need some evangelists to come through and start coaching them and telling them how to do all this. Because you've already been revived. You got revived in a prayer room. I believe we need the fivefold. I get all that. But I'm here tonight to do my job and to sound the alarm that there's been a spoiler sent through the camp that's trying to take from the people of God the thing that is most precious. Because he knows that when we get out at Target, when we get out at Starbucks, when we're walking through our jobs, he's going to know, if you don't take from them their blacksmith, if you don't take away from them their prayer meeting, then I know they will have nothing in the field to reach that soul with. 
You have no holy unction. You have no nudge of the spirit. You have no spiritual sensibilities when you're looking at a lost person square in the face. And when you're standing there, you don't feel the nudge because you're too desensitized due to a lack of a prayer room. And so he knows that if I can take from them their prayer meetings. He knows that if you don't pray and if you're not in here doing and pulling your load, then he can wear out the leadership. He knows that it will all fall on the ones that are praying. And this, hear me right now, if you've ever read about the tabernacle, Go look at it. It tells you how much gold was in it. It tells you how much wood was in it. I did the math. It weighed over 17,000 pounds. That's not counting any of the sacrificial animals. That's just the weight of the temple. Do you think that the priests carried that temple by themselves? It's okay. You can say something. No. No, it was on the entire Israelite clan, what the priest carried was the Ark of the Covenant. We're carrying the presence of God, and we're carrying it for you, but we need you to carry the church. And this echoes true into Acts. They said, what is that to us? We can't wait on tables, but tables need to be waited on, and we need you to carry this while we go and pray and study. We need to go and focus on these areas, and we need you to carry the rest of the church. But we need you to learn how to get a prayer room so that you can carry these things. We need you to get a burden. We need you to carry this. And I've been feeling this creeping thing up in here. And I've been asking God, what is it that I feel? He said, they're not praying. Is this okay? He said, they're praying when they get into the room and their brothers and sisters fan up the cauldron. He said they begin to fan up that cauldron. Then they put their flesh in the fire and they start beating it into submission. He said, but the flame goes out somewhere around Tuesday and somewhere they get it fanned back up on Wednesday, but Friday it's back dwindling down again. He said, because they've gotten busy. I'm here tonight to let you know that there is promise all over this church. There is prophecy all over this church. But prophecies don't come to pass until people come into alignment with the prophecy. And sometimes the worst thing that can happen is when a prophet says this is going to happen and you think it's just going to. The prophets happen with participation from the people. Prophecies don't just happen. They will happen, but that don't mean it will happen for you. He'll move on to somebody and bring it about through them. It was prophesied that the Israelites would go into the promised land. And they went, but a whole generation died in the wilderness. He said, okay, you're not going, but my promise is going to be true. The Israelites will go, just not this generation of you because you didn't participate with my prophecy. I'm going to send this next generation in. I don't want that to be said of me. I want to partner with everything he has said. And I talked about it this morning. You have to work to get involved in the kingdom. And so there has to be a fanning of the flame. And I just want to shine light on what I've been feeling here. This prayer has got to be reignited. There has to be prayer amongst the people. God has going to have... going to start waking you up in the middle of the night and he's going to ask of you would you pray with me for about 20 minutes to an hour would you just seek my face for a few moments would you rise up and would you cover the leadership would you cover the church I've already put it in somebody's heart tomorrow to go and evangelize their city and I need somebody to be sensitive and to go pray for them this is why the leadership's wore out because they're trying to carry the load of all the prayer when it's supposed to be distributed across the church all of us are called to pray this isn't just for the prayer warrior I know we use that phrase 
is, oh, they're a prayer warrior. All of us are prayer warriors. It wasn't just some that went on the battlefield. All of the men went on the battlefield. They were all participating when they went out there. And they weren't just saying, okay, well, you go fight for us and we're going to hang back here. No, everybody carried a sword because they had a blacksmith back at home. Go and get your weapons back. Go and get all the things back that the spoiler has tried to take over the past couple years in the pandemic. To the ministers here, don't call yourself a minister unless you're in a prayer room. I'll tell you what my father told me. He said, don't you dare darken this pulpit unless you've been in a prayer room. He said, you don't even go into the field and evangelize unless you've been in a prayer room. He said, don't go knock a door. Don't go hand out a track unless you've been in that prayer room. God is calling us to a deep place of prayer. He's calling us back to it. Turn off whatever you have to turn off. Turn on whatever you need to turn on. Put a notification on your phone to remind you. Set three reminders and three alarms on your phone every day. And when that alarm goes off, you begin praying. In this way, you're not just in a moment of prayer. You're in a season of prayer, and you're praying all day long. Pray for 15 minutes when your alarm goes off at 9. Pray for another 15 minutes at noon. Pray for 15 minutes at 6. You've prayed 45 minutes in the day. But don't just go and say, I'm going to put in my hour today. Put in prayer, and however long it lasts, let it last that long. If it's two minutes or two hours, you just pray for that amount of time. We need to go back, and we need to get our blacksmiths back because nothing terrifies hell more than the sound of a church who has a blacksmith. When the enemy begins to hear this sound in a church, when they begin to hear this sound as somebody is in a prayer room, it does something to hell. It does something to the natural realm. Whenever they hear this, this is what begins to strike fear in every city, in every region. Principalities know the sound. Principalities know what's happening when they hear that sound. They understand and they say, oh, we tried. We tried to take it from them, but they've gotten up and they've gotten it back. They're beginning to take back their prayer meetings. They're rising early in the morning and they're going to bed late at night. But Brother Holloway, I work. I know you do, but pray anyway. But Brother Holloway, I have kids. I have kids too. Show them how to pray. But Brother Holloway, I've got responsibilities. Your main responsibility is to be in the presence of God through prayer. But Brother Holloway, you're being unreasonable. No, this is the only thing that is reasonable because God told me in his word, offer your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. For this is your reasonable service. But Brother Holloway, it's too hard. Then okay, it's even harder to not pray because you have no direction. You have no help. You have no peace. You don't know how to find it. You have no nudge. Go get your blacksmith, child of God. Go get the blacksmith back. Don't let the adversary listen into church services and hear the sound of silence. Let the adversary hear the eerie sound of prayer. I miss the groanings of the spirit where those elders are in the back room and all you can hear is just them saying, oh, oh. You know what it did to me as a child when I would walk in? Our prayer meetings were by the front doors. As a child, I remember walking through the front doors and I had to walk past prayer rooms and I would hear those ladies in there. Oh, they would be the unknown groanings of the spirit. And I had to walk past prayer to go sit on a pew. And it changed my life and I got convicted. And unfortunately, the men didn't pray like the women. So I started going to the women's prayer rooms is what I started doing. And I started praying with them because I liked what I felt in there than what I felt with the men. And then God told me, he said, go and take what you felt here to the men's prayer room. And I said, okay, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to pray like what I've been feeling back there. And I would go to the back of the building and I'd start praying with the men. Because men, you don't know how to pray. I'm sorry. I'm just going to get right in the business tonight. I watched the women last night. I'll pray you. 
I'm just, I, I don't apologize, but this is a problem. We have got to be men of God. We have got to be warriors of God. We have got to come in here and say, let me begin to pray. Where are the war cries from the men? Where are the men that stand up and they lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting? And they begin to call down angels and assign them. Oh, but it's too weird for us. I don't want to be an oddball. I don't want to be goofy. No, you are silly in the spirit when you don't pray. Heaven looks at you and says, what's wrong? What's wrong with them? We are called to be people of prayer. I can tell you story after story. I would go to my grandfather's house, and I would watch that 80-year-old man as he would go into the bathroom, and he would shut the door, and he would go in there for hours, and I would ask, I'd say, what's he doing in there? Why is he in there so long? And my mom would say, that's his prayer room. And I would walk by, and I would see Elder Juan Diaz's soles of his shoes, and he'd be kneeling down. He didn't even have, he had so many surgeries in his body, he wasn't even capable anymore. And I would watch him as he he would try to get back into that wheelchair and he would slide into that wheelchair and he would roll out and I would look at him and say, Papa, what were you doing in there? He said, I was with my Jesus. He stripped me of every excuse I could ever possibly conjure up as to why I shouldn't or couldn't pray because he had more excuses than I could ever have. And there he was. And that man of God had a blacksmith. It's the same man that was laying on a hospital bed after a car accident in his late 70s. The entire right side of his body was completely broken. And he had a bolt in the top of his head to keep his spine in perfect alignment because he broke his neck in that car accident. And I watched him laying there and he lifted up one hand that wasn't broken he began to praise and I walked in and I heard my aunt who was backslid look at him she said aren't you mad at God he said no I'm not mad at my God he said I was chosen for the fire and I get to show him that I will still trust him and he waved that hand and he looked at me and he said son do you see the angels in the room I said, Papa, I don't see him. He said, let me tell you about him. It's the same man that on his deathbed, the day before he died, he grabbed me by the hand and he said, let me, let me tell you something. He quoted to me the entire chapter of Job 38 and he said, fear the Lord. Tremble at his presence. He said, he's sweeter than anything we have on this earth. Stay in prayer. Never let it go. Go into prayer every single day. Don't leave the prayer room. Stay in the prayer room. The very next day he would pass away and he would get to go to the one he'd been visiting with in a bathroom while everybody looked at his souls and said what are you doing why are you doing that why are you praying so long he taught the family how to pray and it was such a great honor that my family would look at me in the funeral and they would say you're the new Juan Diaz and I said I'm going to maintain the power of prayer in this family I'm going to keep on praying I'm not going to stop praying not because Papa did it but because I want to be close to the one he was close to because if I have to go through a fire I want what he had I want to be in the presence of angels the way he was but I want to be in the presence of God like he was. Men of God stand to your feet and lift up those holy hands right now just the men all across this room and would you go and get the blacksmith back. Would you lift up those godly manly voices. I believe that when a man of God begins to pray I believe that when a man of God begins to lift up his voice and say God I want you. I want to be close to you. I want everything that you've got for me and when you begin to pray I believe this is what hell hears. I believe hell begins to tremble at the sound of a 
man of God. Go ahead, man of God. Lift up that voice. Lift up that voice. It doesn't matter if you're older or younger. Older men, lift up your voice right now. Don't just look at me. Lift up that voice and begin to pray unto God. Do you feel that? Something happens. Don't stop. Ladies, would you stand up right now? And would you begin birthing something in the Spirit? Would you begin praying in the Holy Ghost? Men, you war. Men, you push back on some things. Call angels down into this room. Call on Michael. Call on Gabriel. Whatever you've got to do, call warring angels into this room. Act like you're a military general. Tell them, I want you to go here. And I want you to go there. And I want you to do this. Go and do that. Go do it in the name of Jesus. And now ladies I want you to begin to support prayer because that's what a lady is the Bible says they are a support you hold up things and you're capable of holding a load that most men can't handle you are capable to carry things and to birth things you can pray through pain and you can pay, pray through problems because your body was hardwired to do it so when you pray something is birthed into the atmosphere but when men when you pray you protect the birthing stools so let's partner together man and woman in the full image of God and let's see what happens somebody go get the blacksmith back though somebody go get that prayer meeting back come on that's it that's it man of God that's, that feels like blacksmith that feels like warfare right there Come on, it's all over you. You men of God are powerful. It's all over you. That's why the Holy Ghost is challenging you right now. Because he trusts you. Would you go ahead and just assign some things. Declare some things. Begin to provoke some things in the spirit. There's an authority on you for this church. Go ahead and release it right now. Ilo Come on, men. Come on, men. I hear the sound of a hammer hitting hot steel. Come on, it's time to form out what God has called for this end time hour. You need to forge it out of the fire of prayer. That's it. Come on, you need to war like your family is under attack. It is under siege. You've got an adversary that is hungry to destroy everything you have. Yamo ya satabarako. 
on, there's some of you need to move up here in the front of the church and join together and bind together. You need the purpose together. You're not in this all alone. You're not by yourself. You need a show of arms tonight. Come on, you need to start declaring. You need to make a declaration. Come on, that's it. Yo Yo leba satabaroko. Yiba satabako yo lobahaya. Yia saborahai. Come on, I think it would be for some of you ladies to join in the front of this church right here and begin to travail. Come on, there needs to be a spirit of, you need to pray that your man is strong. You need to pray that he's godly. You need to pray for his consecration. You need to pray that there would be no weapon that is formed against him that should prosper. Yes, yes, yes. to be burned in the fire. Vivo rahisata barakai. Yalo rabasata barabakai. Yolo boshata barabaya. Come on, that's it, ladies. Come on, that's it, ladies. Come on, that's it. 